0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: A very warm welcome to Squawk Box, the last show of the year and the decade. Here are your headlines. Man on the run ousted Nissan chief Carlos Ghosn flees trial in Japan for Lebanon saying he won't be held hostage by a rigged Japanese justice system. An end to the rally, at the end of the year, US stocks notch their worst day in about a month, but Wall Street is set to log its best performance in six years as we head into the final
2: trading day of 2019. Hello everybody, Chinese stocks limp towards the finish line, even as an official print of manufacturing activity comes in slightly ahead of expectations. Elsewhere, Huawei's revenue hitting a record $122 billion this year, despite the U.S. blacklist. But the figure comes in weaker than expected, as the Chinese tech giant says survival is the top priority for 2020.
1: good morning and welcome to squawk box everybody last show of the year as you mentioned i want to take you to our top story though a former nissan renault chairman carlos ghosn has fled tokyo for his native home of lebanon ghosn faces trial in japan over alleged financial misconduct he was allowed to leave a designated residence but banned from traveling abroad under his bail conditions in a statement ghosn said he had quote not fled justice but escaped injustice and political persecution. The Tokyo Prosecutor's Office has not commented on the news. Meanwhile, a lawyer representing Goen said he was surprised by the departure. He called Goen's actions inexcusable and said there was a high probability that the auto tycoon violated his bail conditions what a story of New intrigue, yes. Amandi, and something that everyone has been watching very, very closely. And, of course, let's just rewind back. Um, the first time he was arrested was in November 2018, so this mm-hmm. story has been going on for a very long mm-hmm. time, and it has caused significant repercussions across all of the car makers involved. Let's not forget he was the chairman of this alliance between Nissan, Renault and Mitsubishi. Ever since right. then, look at the stock performance of those respective automakers. Mm-hmm. It has been 12 months, over 12 months, of complete and utter turmoil change at the top, uh, different management, anyone who's been loosely associated with Carlos Ghosn has been effectively removed from their position in both of those companies. Um, But a very remarkable development over the last 24 hours because Mm. he was under very strict bail terms and he was Mm -hmm. also under very strict surveillance in Japan, remarkable that he was able to leave the country and actually make it to Lebanon, his home country.
2: That's absolutely. It really does read like a movie script, doesn't it? I mean, for example, only a number of months ago in September, the CEO, Hiroto Saikawa, ironically, one of the guys who actually accused Carlos Ghosn, he himself actually resigned from the company because he admitted to his own overpayment of remuneration right right? and then just a few weeks ago you then had the turnaround chief mr Seki, who also resigned Mm -hmm. and he'd been at the company for like over three decades and then suddenly he resigned because well Who knows? But it just feels as if there are just too many problems to overcome right now at Nissan. You know, tumbling sales, the corporate scandals, the stock is currently at a one-year low. It feels as if there's a lot to overcome right now. And
1: also lots of questions about the future of this alliance, because this was essentially Carlos Ghosn's baby. You know, he wanted to bring the ties closer together Mm -hmm. with Renault and Nissan. And that was the sticking point. Let's just remind viewers, of course, that Renault has a 43% stake in Nissan that still holds. Mm. But the French government has about a 12% stake, a 15% stake, I should say, in Renault. And they've been very vocal on every single measure that the French automaker has decided to make. And of course, there's now that Carlos Ghosn has stepped away Um, there's a lot of resistance to further integration between the two automakers. And many people are saying, look, it's time perhaps for the French company to wash their hands of this Japanese automaker. Perhaps they've reduced the stake a little bit, especially given that the company is coming under so much financial pressure. Look at the stock performance this year. Nissan down 27%, Renault down 23%. In a year where towards the end of the year, actually automakers ended up positive. So these are companies that are still being held down by the questions surrounding Carlos Ghosn and his legacy. And, of course, he was set for the trial around spring of 2020 mm-hmm. under uh, financial misconduct claims and also um,
2: um, embezzlement. Right. So there are also embezzlement claim- claims as well. And you're absolutely right when you say that the merger is the crux of the problem, right? Because Carlos Ghosn's lawyers are are accusing prosecutors, even government officials, of colluding um, because, uh, uh, allegedly... Um, the Nissan executives did not want this merger to go ahead between Nissan and Renault. So it would be very interesting to see what happens, as you say, to the alliance going on from here. But, you know, to Goen's point about he wanted to escape Japan because he didn't feel he was going to get a fair trial. He didn't feel that he was going to get justice. Um, so apparently there is an almost 100% conviction rate mm-hmm. by Japanese courts. 100% conviction rate? I mean, the number like speaks a thousand words, doesn't it? Because um, apparently the system works such that it, it, the, the, those who are charged or arrested are held for a very, very long time and uh, they could be under a lot of duress. Mm. So, you know, for the 108 days that Carlos Goen was in jail, for example, he was always under fluorescent lights. He had yeah. to take cold showers in the middle of, in the middle of winter. He had naturally very restricted, if not no contact with his wife. I mean, very inhumane conditions for a guy who hadn't actually... You know, I mean, that the trial hadn't even taken mm-hmm. place and I, yet. I think I think your
1: point of uh, the presumption of being guilty before innocence is, yes. is, is one of the major features that has come out of this. And, yes. it, and it speaks to the Japanese legal system. And to your point, almost 99 percent mm-hmm. plus of cases uh, in mm. the end uh, are, are proven to have a, uh, a or come out with a guilty mm-hmm. verdict, which mm-hmm. is something that. You know, if you believe you're innocent, then obviously you would want to contest against. But he did pay quite a hefty sum to get out of jail. Was it like back 13. in April, something million dollars exactly, something on there, like that. which he would lose exactly. in this instance if he doesn't. So he would lose return. that in this instance. But there are lots of questions now uh, surrounding the the circumstances of his departure from Japan how he was able to make it out of the country, which mm. passport to use. Remember, he's Brazilian, Lebanese and French. Uh, so he's nationals of all of those three countries. Um, the local press, so the Lebanese press, uh, LBC group, uh, have said that um, he hired a private agency to get mm-hmm. him out of Japan and was routed via Turkey and that the private jet landed uh, on, uh, in the evening on Sunday. Uh, at the Lebanese airport, the Beirut airport, but routed via Turkey on a private jet. So we're still getting a little bit more detail on how he managed to uh, leave Japan in the very first instance. Um, But as you can see, we're looking at images of his actual residence in Beirut. He has said that he will be looking uh, to speak to the media and tell his side of the story Uh, in the coming days as well. An intriguing, absolutely intriguing intriguing. story that has gripped the auto community over the last 12, 18
2: months. And naturally, we will continue to be monitoring the situation and bring updates to our viewers and listeners as soon as they do become available. Okay, well, let's move on now because not only is this the last day of... uh, 2019 for trading. It's also the last day of the decade. So on this occasion, let's take a look back and take a look at how the S&P 500 has performed over the past 10 years. What a 10 years they have been. The percentage gain has been 188.8%. Uh, just yesterday, it was actually higher than that. But uh, there was a negative day for the three U.S. indices in overnight trade. In fact, the Dow and the S&P posted their worst day since the 3rd of December. Maybe a little bit of a breather would not be a bad thing, though, right, <laughs> I think they started to get somewhat stretched. Uh, the Dow over the past decade has gained by 168.9%. Let's call it 169%. I like a good rounds number. As for the NASDAQ, uh, so on January the 1st, 2010, was it sitting at 1860? We're now at 89.45. That is a percentage a change of 380. 80 percent and just since the election alone was that was november 2016 right mm. it's gained by about 70 i think 72 73 percent something like that so this is of course why trump says of course. You know, Make America great again. Look at the stock market. Well, stock markets are at record highs. But
1: but actually, to your point, uh, the tech sector has driven a lot of those gains. We'll talk about that more on the show. Speaking of tech, the S&P and Nasdaq Mm -hmm. are on track for their best year since 2013. But what will 2020 bring and what will drive markets in the new year? Bob Pisani breaks it down.
0: Oil stocks bounce. Rates go up and the direct listing craze will peak. Here's three predictions for 2020. First, against all odds, energy stocks will outperform the S&P 500. It's been a lost decade for energy investors, with oil stocks up just 6% in 10 years. But a combination of high dividend yields and relatively low earnings multiples will make several oil companies much more attractive in 2020. Bank of America, for example, believes Exxon Mobil could move up 50% to $100 as it sells assets, expands production, and doubles its cash flow by 2025. Second, lower rates in 2020? Not necessarily. Many central banks don't seem to want it. Shifting political winds in Germany will lead to the passage of large-scale stimulus programs there to boost its slower economy. European bond yields will move back toward positive territory that will force money out of U.S. bonds and into European bonds, all while pushing U.S. yields higher and keeping the bank rally here going. Finally, the direct listing craze will peak when Airbnb goes public via direct listing. It's all the rage right now. Private equity investors, disappointed with IPO returns this year, are pushing direct listings to cut costs and allow employees and private equity to sell shares. But no one asked the buy side. Direct listings, Spotify and Slack, are both underperforming the overall market and a disappointing Airbnb debut will convince many that allowing early investors to sell all at once may not be right for everyone.
1: Well, a strong end to the year for U.S. equities and all global stock markets. Let's bring in Jim McCormick, the global head of debt strategy from West Markets, who's going to be joining us as a guest host for the next couple of hours. Starting with the market performance, one thing that Mandy and I were briefly just discussing is the relative outperformance of the tech sector. If you look at the S&P subcomponents, uh, the tech group in particular has risen 47 percent this year, the tech sector alone accounts for about 30% of mm. the S&P's total return for the year. What do you think of the uh, very high uh, emphasis that the S&P index has nowadays towards the tech sector?
3: Well, obviously, it's 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 becoming a, a bit of a distortion uh, because you can't really understand what, what's going on uh, in stock markets overall. I mean, you can, I suppose, understand why, why, why tech outperform, but I, I think the... The real story in 2019 was the performance of credit markets I mean we've had pretty much every single risk asset go up but mm. it was really a year about credit markets and less about stock markets
1: on a volatility adjusted basis on a volatility if basis well, that's sure, the, but that's sure. the key point right yeah. so if you would have bought uh, a high yield instrument or a mm. uh, you know, a corporate bonds you probably would have made you know, five, six, ten percent at most returns. Whereas if you had bought the stock market, you would have made thirty percent, but volatility yes, adjusted, yes, risk course, return adjusted, you were better off buying the corporate bonds. Isn't that just a function of the Feds and Feds really uh, killing the volatility out there in the market? Yeah, and I mean, really I, lending I a supporting hand to fixed income here.
3: I do think that two thousand nineteen, when we look back, uh, will be viewed as the year of central bank dominance. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you you go back to Where we were last year at this time, stock markets were down, markets were worried. Um, We look at 2019, we had a global manufacturing recession. We had a large escalation in US-China trade tensions, and yet we had every single risk asset in the world go up. Uh, why? Because central banks have pretty much turned the, the, the tide around, and, and you know, once again, eased quite substantially.
2: I mean, the word normalization has completely disappeared from our lexicon, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, normalization. <laughs> up, no, right? Who normal needs normal anymore. anyway? What is normal? <laughs> so, would you say that you know, we used to have the old adage of "don't fight the Fed" has become "don't fight the ECB," "don't fight the RBA," "don't fight all the central banks out there." But are we coming to an end of an era where you you have to ask yourself how much more ammo they have, how much more they can. Live yeah. If asset prices.
3: I mean, listen. That's that's our big theme, not just for the next year, but perhaps for the next mm-hmm. decade. Since we're we're talking about decades, um, look back at the last ten years. It was the the era of monetary dominance. Uh, now, central banks are running out of ammunition, uh, mm-hmm. particularly in Europe, but not only uh, in Europe. And I I do think there's a lot of questioning going on about what we're getting for this. We're not getting yeah. a lot of inflation. We're getting a lot of asset market distortion. Uh, And I think people are starting to worry about the the, the cost-benefit analysis of all this monetary dominance.
2: But we are starting to see the CRB really uh, reassert itself, particularly since selling off in Mm. the summer. And as it's starting to rally, I wonder whether if we continue to see a weakness in the U.S. dollar, which does seem to be sort of... um rearing its ugly head. I wonder if we'll continue to see commodity prices rise into 2020 and whether that yeah. might be an inflationary force the Fed will have to pause for.
3: Well, I mean, there's 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 lots of things in there. Uh, I mean, firstly, we should probably in our two hours talk about uh, inflation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I look at the CRB, it, it, it does tell me two things. One is, is that uh, we're getting a stabilisation in global manufacturing, which we saw mm-hmm. in the China PMI numbers uh, overnight. But we're also starting to get that that turning point in the US dollar. One of our big right. stories for 2020 is mm-hmm. is we do expect the dollar to be weaker. It's coming probably a little bit quicker than than we had thought, but you know certainly something that we're kicking off 2020 with with a real trend.
2: And certainly something which would be good for emerging markets, which we will also talk exactly, about over exactly. the course of the next two hours. So uh, thanks, Jim. You'll stick around with us. And also coming up on the show, Huawei reporting record revenue in 2019, but says survival is the key going forward. We'll bring you more on this after the break.
1: And if you just can't get enough of Scorebox, be sure to tune into our very own podcast. Head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Have a listen and download
0: today's episode. If you enjoy Squawkbox Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends, and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience, and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse.
2: Welcome back to Squawk Box, everybody. Let's take a look at how the US markets closed in overnight trade. So we did have a breather somewhat, but it has been, as you probably know, a steady march higher over the past month. So perhaps, as I was saying to Jamano earlier on, to have a pause to catch your breath is not necessarily a bad thing from very, very overbought levels. So you have here for the Dow and the S&P the worst trading day since the 3rd of December. The Nasdaq was also down by about 6 tenths of a percent. but as has had a rise over 2019 of about 35% while the S&P 500 has been up by 28.5% year to date. So it has certainly been, if you've been in the market, a very good year so far. Let's take a look at what's happening over in Asia where we saw the Korean market, the KOSPI closed along with Japan. The scoreboard there was for the KOSPI a gain of 7.7% for the Nikkei 225. It was 18% for its 2019 gains. So the Chinese markets were open. was up by half a percent. The Shanghai market up by three tenths of a percent. It was a good year for Chinese equities. We'll talk more about that in just a second with our guest. Uh, And the CSI 300 up by about the same amount. Let's take a look at the opening calls after we had a negative day for the European markets yesterday. But uh, again, it's been a pretty good year for at least most of the European markets. So um, we did break the winning streak for the euro stock 600. And partly because the euro has been gaining to a time. Highest level since mid August, I think. Uh, so the opening calls are suggesting that we're going to have a slight gain at the open for the FTSE 100, which is going to be enjoying a half day today because it wants to get down and enjoy the fireworks down there on the uh, on the river. The 40 is called to open slightly on the underside of the line. Also going to be a half day there, and uh, Frankfurt was uh, uh, yesterday, I think, just a half day as well. And so, uh, and also the uh, the Swiss market is going to be closed today, along with Italy. So the Market open will be in about 40 minutes and counting, Jumana. And uh, I'm going to hand it back over to you. Mm. And uh, we're also counting down to popping
1: champagne tonight, especially if you've been long stock markets this year, Mandy. Aren't Absolutely. We? <laughs> All right. China's official read of manufacturing activity has slightly beat expectations for December. The PMI figure has come in at 50.2, edging out a poll by Reuters Economist, which expected 50.1. The country's National Bureau of Statistics reported that production quickens with notable activity in sectors such as food and beverage, clothing, medicine, and automobiles. But a tumultuous year for Huawei has done little to affect sales as the company says it expects revenue to jump 18% in 2019 to hit a record $122 billion. Still, the figure is just under last year's 19.5% and weaker than forecast. The Trump administration has attempted to weaken the Chinese technology group by blacklisting it in the U.S. and lobbying its Western allies to do the same, but with limited success. The company, however, says it is cautious going into 2020, predicting it will be a difficult year and saying survival will be its top priority. So that is Huawei, obviously a company we've been watching very, very closely in the last year. Uh, Let's get back out to our guest host, Jim McCormick, the global head of death strategy from NatWest Markets, uh, picking up on the stock market action. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about Shanghai now, up still at 23% for the year. Um, Doesn't that tell you that despite the trade war... Whatever the Chinese authorities are doing to prop up the market is successful.
3: Yeah, I think it's been a, a decent year for <clears throat> for Chinese policymakers in a, in a number of fronts. One, they've they've clearly stabilized the economy, um, <clears throat> and I think there's been a lot of doubts around that uh, in recent months. And I I think the other underappreciated issue is that you know you think about this time last year. Anyone who thought the dollar China might go above seven figured the world was going to fall apart. Uh, And yet we went above seven, we had a few days, and then next thing you know, things were fine. And I I think it's quite a, a story for Chinese policymakers that dollar China is sitting Close to seven, and yet the stock market's up twenty three percent. Do you think that that
1: tells you that the Chinese authorities are leaning less on the currency today than they would have in the past? The fact that they, you know, they, they, they it moves mm. past seven briefly. The markets didn't really panic, as you suggest, um, and now there seems to be less focus on the currency side of things and more on fiscal stimulus and monetary measures, uh, cutting the triple R rate, uh, uh, making tweaks with the lending rates, et cetera, rather than on using the currency as, say, a tool of uh, stimulus. Yeah, I
3: think that's a big story for, for 2019. If you if you look at the reserve numbers, for instance, um, they've, they've barely moved. And I, I know a lot of people will claim that there's hidden reserves that the Chinese use to, to prop up the currency, but, but I don't see that. I think it's quite a story that we've had this move in the currency The Chinese didn't intervene. The stock market's up 23%. It's been a a pretty good year for Chinese Mm. policymakers. And
2: I think the irony here is that because of the trade war, it's really just pushed China to become a whole lot more self-reliant and throw a lot more money and resources into developing these strong indigenous sectors, such as 5G. I mean, I think Huawei is an excellent example of this. I mean, because, you know, it's been cut off from, in some certain areas, the US market. It's like, okay, well, let's just make it, you know, make it bigger That's and stronger right. at home. Let's be the world leader, and already, arguably, China is the world leader. That's right. In five G telecoms, and the likes of Xiaomi, Huawei, Oppo are going to completely overtake the likes of Apple and Samsung, mm-hmm. probably in terms of smartphone sales. Five G going forward.
3: Yeah, and I, I think it's it's one of the the important stories for China in in, in recent years is that we tend to. To still focus on on the old economy china we mm-hmm. focus on the manufacturing sector we focus on the resource sector and and china's been trying to to phase that out for for quite some time and, and so when we get worried about manufacturing pmi below 50 the fact is manufacturing pmi has between been between 49 and 51 mm-hmm. for the past five or six years the real story is in the service sector, and the service sector's been doing doing okay.
2: Mm-hmm. And going into next year, what do you think the dollar-yuan is going to do, and what do you think Chinese equities are going to do?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that the the base case here is that dollar-China is not going to move very much. I mean, if, if we've got a phase one deal, if things are going to quiet down, but part of re- that quieting down requires China not to do much with its currency, I'd expect dollar-yuan to, to, to be pretty quiet as stable. far as... It's pretty stable. You know? mm-hmm. I, I think as far as, as Chinese equities are concerned... I think generally speaking, emerging market equities look like a a pretty good buy heading into 2020.
1: And given that you're looking at the markets and we spent so much of this year talking about the trade war, is a phase one deal sufficient for you to put this problem to rest for the time being?
3: Well, you know, listen, I I, I think there's the the, the headline risk and then there's the, the real story. I think the headline risk goes away for a bit. We have a presidential election, which we'll, we'll probably talk about uh, in the US, and, and that's going to be a big focus. You know, this, this US-China war is more than just the trade war. This is a, a multi-decade story. It's not going away, whether there's a Republican or a Democratic president in 2021. But for the time being, it feels like this, this trade war headline risk is going to go away.
2: Do you think that there is a risk that the phase one deal will not get signed?
3: Listen, I always think that's a risk. I, I, I've been pretty pessimistic about U.S.-China trade relations for some time, but I will say that um, you know, what we've seen in the last three or four weeks has been encouraging. But yes, I think that's always a risk. It, it's very hard to predict what the US is going to do.
1: Mm, Certainly markets are putting a lot of hopes on this perspective Absolutely. phase 1 deal. If something goes wrong, goodness, it will not be a good start to the year for stock markets. Hey, we saw that. Say. We saw that in January of this year yeah. and what a turnaround it uh, it was by the end of the year mm-hmm. with the all of the tariff dates to look back at this year. It's been a wild year as far as the trade war is concerned. All right, Jim McCormick, Global Head of Death Strategy from NetWest, we will pick up the conversation with our guest host. Uh, But as you mentioned, 2020 is shaping up to be a big year for Huawei after a rough 2019. Head online to find out what major challenges await the Chinese tech company in the new year.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.